bold and raw perspectives of local politics. Important information which impacts our community, nation, and world. Exposing truth, transparency, and getting to the heart of relevant issues that you just won't see in the clickbait media. And always keeping it real. It's the Michelle Tanner Podcast. But I won't back down. Welcome, welcome to the Michelle Tanner podcast. I am so excited for today's episode, for today's guest. I cannot wait to learn more from her. Before I introduce her, let me just remind all Utahns that we are in election season. The election was pushed back two weeks, so it did not happen yesterday. I had a lot of messages yesterday. I I showed up. Why are the polls closed? November 21st is the official voting deadline. So if you want to vote in person here in St. George, that will be at the Dixie Center November 21st. There's also early voting available in person. Check those locations online. Um, And then most people have received their ballots. So my recommendation is don't mail those ballots back in. Actually go and physically drop them off at the county building. So personally, here in St. George, I'm voting for two candidates, Brad Bennett, Paula Smith, two strong Liberty candidates. That's what we need, especially here locally. So do not forget to vote. Tell all of your friends and neighbors. So on to today's episode I want to read you a little bio on our guest here today. Her name is Carrie Bartholomew. She'll be joining us via Skype here. So Carrie is a mother, wife, and local advocate. Representing multiple parent groups, she also speaks out regularly on her podcast, Be Not Afraid, As a former foster child who aged out of care and does not subscribe to the victim narrative, Carrie finds herself in the center of this cultural battle. She works tirelessly to defend the virtues of meritocracy and resilience. She is an advocate for all children and believes that the best solutions come when ideas are brought to the table with both reason and compassion. Carrie, I already feel like we are going to get along so well. Welcome to the Michelle Tanner podcast. Maybe just start with who are you? Who, what brought you to this point in your life of being such a strong advocate and maybe touch on some more of your background because it sounds like you've been through a lot in your life and have so much to share with us. Sure. Yeah. Um, I moved here to Utah Um, in 2020 after my son was told to identify as his oppressed side in his middle school. My son is second generation mixed race. So he looks like he's right off the boat from Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) And I am not a person who subscribes to, um, a race racial victim narrative. That doesn't mean I don't believe in racism. I do see it. Um, but I also believe it goes in every direction. So when the, when the conversation becomes all of these people are virtuous and all of these people are bad, I'm going to fight against that because I don't believe that it's truthful. Thank you. Yeah. And, and we need that truth now more than ever, because like you're saying, you know, racism, of course, exists. I don't think most people would deny that. But do you believe that? 
whites are inherently racist or blacks are inherently oppressed? I mean, what's your what's your position on that? I think it is infantilizing to teach black people or people of color that they cannot achieve, that they have some kind of generational trauma. Um, and I think that especially for the worst, the, the people who've grown up in the worst situations, and some people would um, say that I have grown up that way. I put myself in foster care when I was eight years old. I aged out of foster care. I lived in with 19 different foster homes. And um, in that time, had people told me, well, you're a victim, poor you, let us take care of you, let us, you know, there's nothing that you, there's no personal responsibility for the life that you want to have in the future. I can't, I would say I can't imagine what that would be like, but unfortunately I've had many foster brothers and sisters who have fallen down that trap. For me, I had a teacher who, when I was, when I was turning 18, um, I asked them, who should I vote for? Because I'm now, you know, almost able to vote. What, what should I do? Or when I was, you know, leaving foster care. And she said, well, that's easy. You're poor and you're black. So you're a Democrat. They'll take care of you. Oh, wow. And I thought, I, I don't want to be poor forever. So thank you very much for making that clear for me. Yeah. Wow. But good for you for recognizing that so early on that, I mean, really this victim mentality, it doesn't help anyone. So you have to really question the motives of anyone who would be trying to victimize a certain class. I mean, what do you think the motive is for society to be victimizing certain classes of people? I think that part of it is voting since we're, since it's election season, yeah. I think part of it is voting. You, you vote for the people who will quote unquote, take care of you, even though you don't see any improvement. Right. So the people who, the people who bring the solutions to the table are often pushed away because they don't speak the right narrative. And I think it's again, infantilizing. I think that Utah has a huge problem with the nanification of its people. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I was really blown away actually here. You know, I grew up essentially in Utah, though I have traveled all over the world, different areas. So I've experienced life outside of Utah, but in some ways I still feel like I was a little sheltered because I growing up here, I never felt racist. I never felt that, you know, I was superior somehow because of my skin color or, you know, someone else was inferior because of their skin color or sexuality or whatever that may be, or gender for that matter. And just here recently, actually at the university down here, I had a conversation with one of the professors and I could not believe that what she was telling me was actually real. I think we hear the narrative oftentimes of, you know, the oppressed versus the oppressor, but to actually see it here in Utah firsthand, this professor telling me that, you know, we as white people, this is exactly how she worded it. We can reach up and grab the fruit, but sometimes for, you know, those people of color, we, we have to stack the fruit boxes so that they can then, 
you know, be elevated to grab the fruit. And I looked at her and I said, that is the most racist thing I have ever heard. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm not black, but if I was, I would be in even not being black. I'm offended, but, uh, who are you to think because of your skin color that you have to stack boxes for me? Really? You think you're that much better than me because of your skin color? It's disgusting. And they're proud that they're teaching this to their students because that's why I was meeting with them because I wanted to know if it was indeed true because I had heard from students that this was being taught. Sure enough, they're proud that they are teaching this garbage with our tax dollars, by the way. And it's a cancer in the community, if you ask me, but I want to know your opinion on that. How does that make you feel? Do you feel <laughs> that uh, somehow you need us to stack some fruit boxes well, to, so you can reach up and grab the fruit? Let, let me start at the beginning. I am. I would be the perfect example of somebody that could have used that help, having been a former foster kid, having, you know, grown up in that situation. But the things that I did not have handed to me, I treasure more. So, and I believe that that's true of every single person, every single gender, every single color, the thing that you, the things that you accomplish, that's what builds in you personal character. Yes. We are completely removing personal character. That's one point two, the ignorance of people. And so I've said this before on other podcasts, but I feel that bigotry and racism are not the same thing how I define bigotry, and this is my own personal viewpoint, I define bigotry as not knowing about something, maybe even being scared of something that you do not know. Racism has uh, maliciousness behind it. So what these people do not know is that there are African Americans who have been extremely successful, extremely wealthy, and extremely educated for about 200 years. And when I say extremely, I'm talking about doctors, lawyers, professors, Absolutely. all of these successful, thriving people, and yet their kids have to sit in the classroom and hear this narrative. Meanwhile, some of the poorest people I've ever met, one of my friends is from Tennessee, and she's from like, you know, the, the boonies mm -hmm. of Tennessee. She happens to be white. She happens to be white. Her son, she she has to like turn off one piece of electricity to be able to use another piece of electricity. They have very, very little. Yeah. But yet her son goes to school because her son is the age of my son. Her son has to go to school and hear that he is an oppressor. The goal is to divide. I was really upset the other day because I saw an old post from the lieutenant governor. Mm -hmm. Deidre um, Henderson. Yes. And it said, it said, I don't know what it is to be black. Okay. And then she said, but I'm listening. Let me be very clear. People are only listening to one voice, which is why I'm so grateful to be able to be on these types of podcasts at the, at the local level. I have had, I've spoke to KUIR and they've said, well, we just, we don't want to share your voice. I've been told oh. that what I say is irresponsible when yet what I'm teaching people, what I promote is responsibility. I've been told I don't want to teach history because ethnic studies is an absolute freaking disaster that's going to divide people and turn our kids into activists. 
that's what I do. I, I spend my time going on the pages of, of curriculum or going through model policies and reading, getting to all of the guts of it. And it's not even that hard. They just don't expect parents to, to hear it. What they expect is they say, why wouldn't you want to learn about different cultures? So I very much want to learn about different cultures. I, I love history. I teach history. I also go around Utah as Harriet Tubman and I tell her story and I don't hide the yucky parts of her story, but I also focus on the beautiful parts of her story. And that's what I think a healthy history for children is. Absolutely. And thank goodness there are people like you willing to be a voice. And how disturbing is that, that they would be trying to silence and censor your voice because it somehow doesn't fit their narrative or agenda? That's outrageous. And I'm glad that you brought up the ethnic studies because when it comes to social emotional learning, which is something we've talked about on this podcast before, um, ethnic studies has been brought up briefly before. Is this a Trojan horse, do you yes. think? And, you know, I've heard legislators tout how, oh, we've banned critical race theory here in Utah. There's no CRT. So can you delve into that? from your expertise and perspective, is CRT alive and well here in Utah? And if so, how are they doing it? Okay. The argument is, is that critical race theory is a college level lesson or a college level study to find injustices in the world and to, and to look at the ways in which that can be disrupted. Ethnic studies by Christine Sleater. She's the main kind of person behind that. Ethnic studies was created to be guided, and these are her words, to be guided by critical race theory if it's to head in the right direction. If not, we risk having celebrations and cultural themes of the month, which is not the goal. The goal is a double helix. And I'm quoting again, almost verbatim, what she has written both um, and also what she has said herself on YouTube. So, um, the double helix is that our students will realize where they are oppressed through understanding their points of intersectionality. That's Kimberly Crenshaw, 1619 project, all of that stuff. And then the second part is using that new knowledge or that new way of knowing. This is their language. So using that way of knowing to disrupt the systems which ultimately means bringing down Western civilization, which is why we're seeing the same kind of protests, the same kind of conversations all over Western civilization. And ultimately what it comes down to is it's a Trojan horse for, um, for sustainable development goals by dividing us, by turning us into people who do not trust each other. Wow. Yeah. Great way to put it. And What's your opinion of, I've heard Governor Cox actually on the media support some of these scholarships that are given out based off of skin color. What's your opinion of that? I wanted to believe that he was just ill-informed. I do know, however, that multiple groups have went and tried to present to them what both social emotional learning and ethnic studies are. He created an ethnic studies commission. I've been to the ethnic studies commission. I've spoken at it. It is um, 
somewhat disastrous in my opinion. Wow. Not again, because I don't want ethnic studies taught, but you need to explain to me why Utah-based ethnic studies means that a third grade classroom needs to be able to explain why a flooding in Missouri has to do with climate change and systemic racism. That is the exact example from the time that I attended an ethnic studies meeting. Meanwhile, we buy into it because we think that it's kimonos and sombreros and maybe learning about our Native American brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. That's what we think it is. And ultimately, its goal is one thing, to create activists in our children. Wow. Yeah. It's just outrageous to me that this would even be something that we're wasting our time and tax dollars promoting to these kids. I mean, what happened to just reading, writing, arithmetic? I mean, even as a kid, I do remember doing some cultural things. You know, we had some different dances to celebrate different nationalities and cultures. And, you know, that was never an issue. But yeah, now you are absolutely right. There is this push that now it's almost as if they are replacing academics with political activism in our classrooms. What do you think we as parents, what can we do to combat this? Well, first, can I hit a few things, a few points? Absolutely. 16%, 1-6% is the proficiency rate for African-Americans in literature and math is not much better in the state of Utah. The goal then is to become, remember, I don't know how much you've seen about like BYU and other schools that have brought in the anti-racist narrative, having the kids read how to be an anti-racist, actually bringing Ibram X. Kendi to Utah. Um, so this is happening at BYU that they are pushing yes. this. Yes. BYU is probably one of the worst. They have a group called the Black Menaces. So, um, and is that a, a call or a university sponsored group, the black menaces? I really don't know. I've just seen them at certain events and what's um, their and, and mission it looks a lot like BLM. That's I, what I, I was going to say, yeah. Is that, is that like BLM and, and what's your opinion too? You can continue on the points you were going to hit on, but I sure. also want to know your opinion of, of BLM as well. Sure. Okay. So I believe that. I always believe that knowledge is power and there's so many things that are coming along that are scary that you don't want to think about that a lot of people in Utah, in my opinion, put their head in the sand about. Um, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say that just learning a dance here and there is not enough to learn about culture. I think that we can inter, um, interweave cultures into more of our history. Our kids can read Thomas Sowell. Absolutely love him. So, you know, so I'm thinking there there are things that different ages can read. George Washington Carver, um, and I also would like I would like a coalition of all sorts of people who love this country and appreciate what this country offers. I mean, for many of us, somebody came here to get away from something far worse, and so I would appreciate if we could get together and have groups and and teach a more in depth and a more unifying version of history. That does not mean that you cut out the ugly parts, mm-hmm. but there's things that I did not know. I'm here in my forties and I never heard about black wall street. 
So tell those stories, tell the stories of success, because we only tell that narrative that black people are oppressed. If you ask people about black history, they'll say, yeah, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. There's so much more to our history. And that's true of every single culture and even gender. So I think that we can have those conversations. That's not what's being ha- what's happening. What what's happening here in our kind of nanification is break into your groups. In my own city, in in um, Payson, where I'm from, they pulled the Native Americans out of history so that they could have their own history class. Wow, looks a lot like segregation to me. Mm-hmm. So, and this is from our top levels of, of our government. Everybody thinks that we're such a conservative state. That's why I moved here. I thought I am going to get out of the craziness of Seattle and I'm going to move to a quiet town in Utah. And the things that we're pushing here are crazy. Do you know that in order to graduate or to take a, to get your certificate from a certain class at BYU, you have to gender bend. Wait, wait, wait. Gender bent. Like, explain that one to me. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, men should wear nail polish, wear a dress, what? attend porn support groups. Oh, my gosh. Um, This is at BYU. Wow. BYU has not... gone off the rails. Yes. Yes. People are not informed. So that's the first thing is that you need to do is you need to be informed. You need to stop listening to people. First off, you need to understand that those people who teach ethnic studies around the state have gotten a raise of, on average, $100,000. And it's public knowledge. I mean, you can look it up. And so these so are the like the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, the ones who are going into schools, teaching, um, training teachers, yes. So they've had a six-figure raise. So money is pouring in. And is this coming from the federal level, do you think, or is a state or both? It might be both for sure federal. Okay. Um, I believe that the, I believe that the state takes these kind of funding because it's so much money. Same thing with social and emotional learning. Right. Um, I've not done deep research on this. This is only like shallow you know, connect the dots. <laughs> right. So when I see that somebody made 34,000 a year and now they make 142,000. Yes. Interesting. interesting. And you know what they did last year? You're probably aware of this. Um, but one of the days I happened to be up at the Capitol last year, there was a bill, um, trying to abolish DEI in universities. Yes. And what did they do? They brought in, A lot of African-Americans to oppose it. And of course, then uh, and you could see just the look on these legislators faces like, oh, how am I supposed to to vote yes on this now? Right. And unfortunately, they caved and didn't, although I have heard they, they are bringing that bill back again, which I believe they absolutely should. But what were your thoughts on that? Were you there? Uh, I was there. Okay, I I was there. In fact, I was shoved by them. Wow. That's the whole, we are so inclusive. We want to embrace and stand up for our people. I'm not their people. doesn't matter. My skin color is just, it's something that I live with every day. It is who I am. I don't feel shame, nor do I feel pride. It's just who I am. Right. That's how I look at it. And that's how I think most people, at least that's what I thought is that most people just looked at themselves and, um, 
I thought we were far, far further on the racial conversation on um, seeing each other as just human beings and brothers and sisters than I've found that we are. And that, I mean, that started, that started under Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. People voted because they wanted to prove they weren't racist and it kind of broke their brains. They couldn't see, couldn't objectively look and go, well, what, what good is he doing? What bad is he doing? Because all you were thinking is, I voted for a black man. (laughs) I'm so wonderful. And I'm sitting there going, he's biracial. You know, if you cut an apple in half, there's two sides. Right. And why that should even be a factor and why you would ever vote for someone is beyond me. And and it's the same thing with I'll see, you know, people saying, in fact, just the other day, someone was criticizing me for speaking the truth about a a female candidate who's running. And they said, I can't believe you wouldn't support a, a fellow female you know, candidate. And I'm like, what, why would that even be a qualifying factor? What their gender is or, you know, their race or sexuality, so on, you can go on and on, but I think you're absolutely right. You need to realize that they want us othered. Yeah. And who else that history has othered? We've got Mao, we've got Stalin and we've got the infamous Hitler, the people, they always call us, you know, the name. And I sit there going, You are currently sharing for some crazy, crazy stuff in the name of othering. So that's ultimately the goal, both that and being the savior. Mm. And that is where Utah government comes into place because there is so much of being the savior. If you drive down between Provo and Salt Lake, count how many billboards there are out there that say things like, stay alive. There's a constant narrative, a constant suggesting of you're not okay. I'll help you be okay. Wow. Even down to like museums. I took some kids to a museum the other day and the whole top floor was mental health. There's a huge difference between supporting mental health, which I'm a huge supporter of, Mm -hmm. but there's a huge difference between supporting and and not shaming somebody who is struggling and celebrating the struggle. Amen. And that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I get very anxious about this stuff because it's not best practices. None of this is best practices. It's the very worst things. We know that people mentally do better when they have a sense of gratitude, when they have a sense of hope. Right. But yet we're pushing on them nihilism and resentment. I call CRT critical resentment theory. Mm. So that's what, that's what we're doing to our kids. Now, as far as BLM, well, I call it by large mansions. that's so great and it's where I learned what Marxism was yeah and people should be very concerned when it doesn't like open your eyes and I don't mean to be mean I I'm just I'm very blunt about this they said it they said well we are trained Marxists absolutely that was the head of Black Lives Matter who said themselves we are trained Marxists And if you want to know what's in our schools, it may not have the name BLM at school, which some schools do, but they will have things like just describe how BLM is like the Southern Passage. 
that'll be in a, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that'll be in, that'll be in a lesson in Alpine school district. Wow. Or in Salem school district, we might have, um, Ebonics is the official language of African-Americans as a lesson. Wow. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the Lieutenant governor, you know, governor Cox, the way they've been pushing some of this narrative, even here in St. George, we had our former mayor, um, two of our current city council members, Danielle Larkin, um, and Greg MacArthur, who actually attended the BLM rally when it was here in 2020. And there's photos of, of them, of Danielle Larkin, Mayor Pike, holding signs, white silence equals black death, black lives matter. And I'm thinking, okay, here we are in St. George, Utah, and Regardless of if it's they're just too ignorant to understand that they're at a Marxist rally, I don't know how they could have missed the fact that they were promoting defunding the police and burning down cities all summer long. Right. I don't care why you're there. Either way, it's not a good look that you are there as a representative. They're appearing to support this in the United States of America. This is crazy. Yeah. And what I think happens is that, well, one, we're manipulated. Only only portions of a narrative are told, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, people started bringing me pie. In my town, it was buy a black person a pizza. Um, my family laughed at that. And we were like, so <laughs> does my husband buy me a pizza right. and I only get to eat half of it? And then, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, like, um, but there's one of the most beautiful things that's happening is that the black community is waking up. The black community is going, cause th this had been my question in the first place. All right. First off, George Floyd was a criminal. Sorry if that ticks people off, but he was, Yeah. and he had a speed ball in his mouth. And if we would have seen the full video, all of this wouldn't have happened, but that didn't fit a certain narrative. Right. But when they started saying, put your black square at that moment, I realized this looks a lot like Nazi Germany mm. and put your gold star up. So I wasn't going to do that. And then I started realizing what happened was they sent out these um, emails at school and they said how to be a white ally. And so I clicked on it and I read the page and I was just beyond alarmed. Wow. Because it was like, don't ask questions. Don't ask questions because that's just showing your whiteness. And then I saw, of course, you know, the whole Smithsonian, what it means, what whiteness is and what blackness is. And it made me sick to my stomach that people, that people believe this stuff. But then I realized they don't. Patrice Cullors and her group, they don't believe this. They believe if they did, there would have been stellar charter schools built with the billions of dollars that they raised. Mm -hmm. There would have been a lifting of their community. Instead, there was a lifting of themselves. Yes. And the same thing is in Utah. The same people don't want to have certain conversations because, well, that could ruin their TV station now, couldn't it? Mm. So they, and, and it doesn't matter that behind closed doors, but the common people and I mean that with all the love in the world, okay? But the common people 
are starting to see it and they're starting to go, we're not interested in this. Stop using us. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is, is being used as pawns. And that is disgusting. I mean, I can't think of anything more racist than literally using someone because of the color of their skin to somehow further yourself personally. I think you really nailed it in the beginning when you talked about essentially this is about learning for ourselves personal responsibility, merit. We should be advancing in America. That's the beauty of America, right? Is we should all have that opportunity to advance based off of our merit, not special privileges, right? Depending on what class you fall into, you know, it should be equal across the board with advancing on merit. And when you start targeting people or quote unquote, advancing people because of the color of their skin or their gender or their sexuality or whatever it may be, you nailed it right on the head. That is what divides us. And there is a concerted effort to divide us. Yeah. Um, So you said the thing about slaves and the thing about slaves is that they had people in the house who they told one narrative and they had people in the field who they told another narrative. And so those two people, those two groups divided each other, but then they had the people who were the worst of all. And that would be the overseers on the plantations who were often black themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's in Utah. We have an elite class. Our, the governor appointed somebody to a committee who also has a school for social justice. Wow. And what's the, commi- what's the committee that they're over? Do you it's know? It's the ethnic studies commission. Oh, the ethnic studies commission. And they also have a program for social justice. They have a private school for, I believe it's online, but I'm not sure. Um, they only hire black and brown teachers and the goal is social justice. Wow. So it's absolute utter activism. Absolutely. And it is rampant throughout Utah. I mean, down here at the university, our provost gave a convocation speech last year and a good portion of it. He talked about, we need to be a social justice community. And, you know, he tried to claim that St. George has the social justice issues, which I'm still waiting to hear those examples of, of where we've somehow had issues with social justice here. But it's exactly what you're saying. It's perpetuating this divisive narrative. He also talked about the need for the professors to implement the 17 United Nations goals and agenda throughout the classroom and community. And again, I think that all plays in to the same box and narrative that they're pushing in the United States. And Utah is certainly not immune from that. So I love that you are shining a light on this. Yeah, I I think that Utah is probably the worst red state, so-called red state. And it's really hard because so many people flee here. Yes. They flee here seeking refuge. And then the other issue that's huge that needs to be addressed is elitism. Mm. People running for office and saying things like, well, all of my crazy constituents 
whether that's the school board or whether that's municipal, not having respect for the people who put you in office because you think that there's some kind of podunk person who doesn't have the same education with, you know, multiple letters that you do. Mm -hmm. But if people are happy in their simple lives, who are you to say that you know better? That is one thing that Spencer and his disagree better upsets me more than anything Mm -hmm. because he pretends to be so kind. He pretends to be so compassionate, but in his language, there's always superiority. Yes. Always. And just that, that little, what is the one where the commercial where he says my, um, my conspiracy theory, uncle, my conspiracy theory, MAGA uncle, I think is how he puts it. Yes. And then he says, and my woke niece with too many inconvenient truths. <laughs> That's what he says. Oh, that and one was so say, disgusting. Oh, he just says his woke niece. But it, no, he's saying you're inconvenient with inconvenient truths, which means that's the side he believes. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Meanwhile, we've seen videos of him with his fists on the chest of a constituent who was simply yeah. just asking a question about, hey, tell us about smart cities. Meanwhile, he's denying that he knows anything about smart cities, which was proven to be a lie. It's I found it really condescending in that same video that you're referencing. I believe it was the same one where they start the video by essentially saying, we're here to save your family dinners. Um, Excuse me, Spencer Cox. What makes you think that you have any type of authority to, quote, save my family dinners? What makes you think I even have the need for saving in the first place? So I think you absolutely nailed it with the elitist mentality. We see it down here, even in St. George, Utah, our own mayor banned public comment over the summer at our city council meetings. And one of the listed reasons was that it was just the same people showing up and, you know, we don't, we don't need to hear from them. It's too divisive. It's like, uh, that's actually our boss. So it's it's actually (laughs) inessential, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. We saw a lot of that the last few years. Who's essential? Who's non-essential? What gives them the right to determine that? Right. Well, I love, love what you're doing. Maybe just these last couple minutes, tell us a little bit more about your organizations, things that you've done um, to get involved, how other people can get involved. How can we help you and this message that you're sharing and shining light on this truth? Okay. Well, the first thing that I do is I, I teach classes um, and I may take them online, um, but I think that everybody can teach these classes. So I'm not trying to get people into like paying for a business for me. Um, but I, I talk to youth because they're hungry for the truth Mm. and they ask me anything about history. I go and I research it and then we come back and we have Socratic seminars. I also do a podcast. My podcast is be not afraid with Carib Marcel. It's on, it's barely on rumble and it's on YouTube. Um, and I have conversations with people that I think are meaningful. I also dissect everything in ethnic studies in, um, in the live, in the live portion of it. And then I work with Path Forward Utah, and I am the Ethnic Studies Advisor for UPU, which means basically that I sometimes teach classes, Black history classes, um, and I try to help them to have a reasonable approach 
to any kind of racial questions that they have. I absolutely love that. And I love that a big part of your focus is on the youth because that is who the other side is targeting so heavily. I've seen it in my own son's charter school that was supposed to be a patriotic school and this indoctrination that is happening. So our youth needs to hear messages like yours more than ever. And I truly believe it's your message of light and truth that actually unites us. You hear that a lot on the other side is, oh, we want unity, right? This is the message of unity right here with Carrie Bartholomew. So thank you, thank you for all of your hard work and for sharing with us today. My pleasure, thanks. Thanks for being a part of the Michelle Tanner Podcast. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share. And always remember to keep exposing truth. But I won't back down. No, I won't back down. This has been a production from a podcast studio.